Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, good morning, church. My name is Daniel, and I have the honor of speaking with you all this morning. We're in a series uh, called um, Stories to Live By. Uh, it's It's about parables. And a parable is a very basic story that Jesus would tell that had simple yet profound truth that really connected to the, the things that he was teaching. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you go home and a lot of times you don't remember everything that's said in a sermon, 30, 40 minutes. You don't remember everything that's said. But a lot of times you remember stories, right? And Jesus told these stories because he really wanted to drive home key points and to help things really stick in our minds so that as time went on, we would we'd really remember the, the stories and hopefully the principles behind them. Now, just to let you know a little bit about myself, uh, my role throughout the fall and the spring has really been to serve uh, in the setup team, to do the, the pipe and drape and set up the lights and unload the trailer and all that. And I also served in, in a new training program called Horizon for those who really want to build a, a strong foundation for their spiritual life. So I facilitated in that. And then I'm also in a, in a training program called Antioch. For those who want to go into a vocational ministry. And so I have the opportunity, um, a lot of staff are away today, so to, to speak with you all this morning. Now I know we're halfway through 2018, but 2017 was actually really a big year for me personally. Uh, I moved to California, and I started attending and, and eventually became a member here at OCC. Um, I got married to Katie Funderburg, formerly Katie Bowling, so that was exciting for me. And I also turned 30 last year, and so... As big decade milestones go, I I really had a lot of time to reflect on my 20s. And, you know, I was just thinking about what it... What it really went well in my 20s, what, you know, do I want to take lessons taken to my 30s? And one of the areas that, that I really dealt with a lot was I just wanted to, to move into the next stage of life. I wanted to, to make an impact. I wanted to do something. Anybody in your 20s right now that you want, to, you want to impact the world and just get out there and you're tired of school and you're tired of training and you just want to do something. And, and that's how I was. I, I really wanted to do that. And a little bit more about myself. I'm originally from Texas. And I uh, had the opportunity in 2012 to, to go to Canada, actually, to serve on a, a new church plant that was starting, that's connected to our, our network. And so 2012, I moved there, and I moved to a city called Mississauga, um, right outside of Toronto. I think we have a picture of it, uh, where it's located on the map. It's over there on the East Coast, about an hour away from Niagara Falls. Um, it's really cold there. And so the reason, part of the reason I went there is it's a, it's a pretty large city, 750,000 people, and about 60% are foreign-born. So you have people from lots of different places, Pakistan, India, China, all over the world. And so it really excited me, the opportunity to, to get to rub shoulders to people from lots of different cultures. And what's really unique about where I got to serve was it's, in fact, I believe where OCC had its very first mission trip. And so in the summer of 2013, a team from OCC came uh, up to, to Canada to help our church get started. And so I think we have a couple of pictures from that. We have an outdoor service that we did about five years ago in July of 2013. And if you look closely, you might be able to see some familiar faces. Uh, Josh over there in the corner playing guitar and Bruce playing the drums. And so they, they came and, and helped us get this previous service going and um, you'll also see that there's the picture of the mission team right there, and somehow I didn't make it into the photo, but uh, John and Diane uh, Wooster were the, the founding pastors of the church on the right there, and so I really got to serve alongside them. And now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of something new before, 
But a lot of times it's something new. There's a lot of things that you can do, a lot of ways to get involved. And so for me, it was an opportunity uh, to, say, to say yes. And so um, I, over time, as time went on, I really got the opportunity to say yes to lots of different things. I served. Uh, and as I said yes, I kept getting promoted to, to new things. And so over time, after about three years and a lot of lessons learned, I actually got to serve as the pastor of that, that local church. And so what I learned is you say yes, you get promoted. But as, I also learned that sometimes if you say yes to everything, you can really get ahead of, of what God actually wants for you, especially when you're young. Sometimes you can get ahead of God's timing for your life. And so that's actually the title of the, the message this morning. It's, it's getting ahead of God's timing. And when do you know to move forward and when, and when to wait for him to, to promote you? And so sometimes God really wants us to wait. Sometimes saying yes to everything isn't the best thing to do. And so... Again, I said yes to a lots of different things. I said yes to, to helping with the setup team at the church. I said yes to uh, serving as a kids curriculum. We had to come up with kids curriculum and, and lead the kids ministry, and I was in charge of the boys, and so I said yes to that. Uh, they asked me, could you um, could you maybe do like a um, design a flyer and put it all together for uh, a block party and outreach? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Could you organize a mission team, help like with OCC come in and, 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 and do all kinds of um, administrative stuff for that? And I said, sure, why not? And so I said yes to everything. And, and one thing I said yes to was our church actually wanted to, to really move into the uh, university and try to start something for, for university students. The church was kind of an older community, and so they had a lot of, a lot of older people there. And so they really wanted some youth, some young people. And so they said, Daniel, can you go to the university and can you try to connect with the students there? So I said, yeah, I can do that. And so I said I've been in Texas and I saw this university ministry that had been established in Texas uh, for international students. And I thought, hey, I could bring that here to Canada. The university has a lot of internationals. It would be a great way to get presence on campus. And so... I was like, man, this is going to be great. You know, I had this vision. It's going to go perfectly. You ever had like a vision in your mind of how something's going to go? And, you know, there's no problems. Like, it's going to go work perfectly. The university is going to eat it up. They're going to love it. And you might imagine where the story is going, but it did not go as planned for the most part. So I rallied a young group of, of students, young adults to help me with with this ministry. And one of the things I failed to do is really take into consideration some of the uh, steps to build rapport with the, with the university. And I still remember the key mistake that I made was um, I had the opportunity to go and to actually talk with this, the administration at the university. And I walk in there and I talk with the lady. I'm representing our club and we're talking about it. And she said, oh, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from Texas. And she's like, well, you don't have an accent. And I said, where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from South Africa. And she had a pretty strong accent. And she was just talking about how multicultural the university was and how excited she was that we were starting a group for the internationals on the campus. So everything was going great. I was like, yes, this is my open door. It's going to go perfect. And right as, she, right as I was about to walk out the door, she said to me, oh, and by the way, what, what do you study? What's your major? And I said, oh, I'm not a student here. I'm just a volunteer from the local church. Now, if you are, have been a part of an administration at a university, you may know this, but I didn't really know this. And that's not really the answer that she was looking for. They didn't really want an outsider from the university, from some church that they didn't know about, to try to start stuff on campus. And so I made a, a really big mistake representing myself, not as a student. 
the message I heard later was, how dare you try to start a club on our campus? And from there, it was just a series of things happening that really ultimately led in, in, in our club disbanding. And for me, it was like a huge punch to the gut because I had rallied these students. I would gotten all this together. And try as I might, God just kept closing doors. And eventually, the whole thing fell apart. And, and afterward, I looked back, and I just saw this whole trail of decisions that I had made that really were a little bit hasty. I didn't really think through them well. I didn't really ask God if that's what he wanted for me. And I thought to myself, how often do I do this? How often do I rush into decisions without really checking with God first? And it wasn't that I wasn't teachable. It wasn't really that I wasn't getting coaching or asking questions or really trying to to do the best that I could in that regard. It's just I had a goal and I was kind of blinded and I just went for it. I had this burning desire to, to make a difference. And I thought, hey, here's my chance to really make a difference. And um, Proverbs 19.2 says, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. And I learned why it's not good, because it can a lot of times leave scars. When you make decisions zealously, it can often cause a lot of problems. Now, I don't know how many of you are zealous about the World Cup that's happening right now. Is anybody's team still left of the Final Four? I know we had a couple in the first service. We got France, Belgium, um, England. But if you're a zealous fan, you know, that even if you don't have a lot of knowledge about who's in it or, or if your team's very good, it's not going to cause a lot of problems. But when you're in leadership and you're zealous and you're making decisions that impact people, it can really cause a lot of problems. And for me, it did. And now as I'm asked opportunity to say yes to something, a responsibility, I really have to think twice before I just jump into it because it reminds me of some of the big lessons and big pain and mistakes that I had made. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but it was, my problem wasn't that I was hasty. I mean, that was a problem, but that wasn't the root problem. The problem wasn't that I was just saying yes. The real problem with me was that in my heart, I was insecure And in my insecurity, I just went ahead and thought, if I could just accomplish this task, then I would be somebody. If I could just get there and do this thing, then then I would be important. Other people would see me as an important person. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this. I don't know if maybe you think like, hey, if I can just get a position here at OCC, then I will be somebody. If I can just move into that neighborhood, then that means I'll be somebody. If I can just get a title at work or if I can just get my kids or my spouse to just do this thing, then that will give me significance. And that's kind of what I was dealing with. And if, all of, if any of those things just came together, um, happened, then, then, then my life would come together and I would be happy. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about this. And the parable we'll look at this morning, Jesus gives us a pretty straightforward formula for how we can avoid getting ahead of God's timing. To give a little context, Jesus and his disciples are eating with a prominent member of the Jewish Pharisee group, religious group. And we'll pick up here in Luke chapter 14. It says, When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, 
move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, for us today, we think about going to a wedding and sitting at a place that's prominent. And at least for me as a guy, you know, I, don't, I don't really think about that too much. When I go to a wedding, I went to a wedding actually this week, and I was really excited for the bride and groom. But to be completely honest, I only was thinking about two things. It was super hot, so I was like, where's the shade? And lastly, how soon can I get in line to eat? And so I looked over at the, the, the seating chart, and I saw, hey, I'm at table number four. And so I'm like, hey, man, this is, this is great. Unfortunately, they didn't really base their ranking of, of who's eating by the number. And so we ended up actually in the back toward the end and ended up eating kind of last. So, so maybe that's all you think about when you go to a wedding. I don't know. But in Jesus' time, as the Jewish people were thinking about this, the stakes could often be high about where you sat. There weren't a lot of exciting things that happened in a small town. And so weddings was one of those opportunities where you could really showcase how important you were. The rabbis, the, the business leaders, the govern, governing officials, those people would get the seats of prominence. So you could tell who the important people were based on where you sat at the wedding. It was also an opportunity to network with people at a wedding. So where you sat, you'd have a chance. Maybe you could introduce your son or your daughter uh, and get them a business internship or talk with some of the guests that you're sitting next to. And maybe you could arrange a marriage for one of your children. So there, there was a lot of things at stake for, for that opportunity, that occasion. And lastly, a wedding in, in that time would last, could last as long as a week. So if you're more on the introverted side, like me, and you go to a wedding, and maybe you get seated with people that you don't really know very well, you've got to make small talk for a few hours, three or four hours, you know, it can be a traumatizing experience, I don't know, but it's only a couple hours. But if you're at a Jewish wedding, you'd have to do that for an entire week. So you'd want to move up to a place that's, that's good if you're going to be there for that long. Now Jesus nicely sums up for us the meaning of this parable. He tells us those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I just want to make it sure you're under, you're, you understand that there's nothing wrong with honor. There's nothing wrong with status. There's nothing wrong with moving up. In fact, the Christian faith has a high view of honor. But there's a right way to move up. And I want to explore that this morning and the pathway that we can move to be honored according to God. So there's an action step that we must take. There's a test that we must pass. And lastly, there's a secret to passing that test. And so first of all, the the action that we must take is that choosing humility protects us from humiliation. Humility is a choice. Isn't it pretty obvious in this parable, if I put myself up, further up, then I really put myself in a vulnerable position. But if I voluntarily take the lowest seat, then I actually safeguard myself against possible humiliation. So to illustrate how humility really protects us, or can protect us, I just want to share an example from my life. As as I mentioned, I served for a brief time as, as a pastor, and one of the things that I really struggled with was speaking publicly in front of people. I just would stay up late at night, really agonizing and nervous, and just worried about it. And then... Uh, and the reason why I would do that is because I was really concerned with what everybody thought about me. I was super concerned. I thought, you know, if I do great, people are going to come compliment me and, and they're going to pat me on the back and say, wow, you did such a great job. And, and I'll think, yeah, I know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good, good stuff. And it would go to my head. But if nobody said anything, or if, you know, I heard someone say, oh, that was a lousy message, that was pretty bad, 
then it would completely devastate me. And I was super concerned about how people thought about me. And what I've learned over time is that if I can embrace humility, then whether people say good things, whether they say bad things, whether my performance is amazing or if it's not that great, the, the important thing is that I'm faithful with what God has entrusted to me. And focusing on being faithful rather than on my performance really has helped me and safeguarded me against the roller coaster of the ups and downs of, of my emotions. Now you might be asking yourself, how do I practice humility here at OCC? And I think the answer, most basically, is to serve. And to serve with no strings attached. And if you're going to serve, wait and let someone else promote you, rather than yourself. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. The reason Jesus told his disciples this, in the context of a religious get-together in a home of a religious leader was the same reason we need to hear it. It's so easy for us as Christians, or those of you who are Christians, to compare ourselves with other Christians, right? I mean, it's so easy. You might be thinking, why does Daniel get to preach? Why does so-and-so get to lead a life group? You know, how, how come, you know, I didn't get recognized at the award ceremony and this other person did? No one mentioned my name. Perhaps you came to OCC and you're asking yourself this question like I did. How do I move up around here? How do I gain status? And I think the answer is to serve. And to serve with no strings attached. When we voluntarily take a low profile position that doesn't give us status, maybe we're setting up in the mornings, showing up early. Maybe we're helping in the children's ministry. Maybe we're bringing a meal to someone or praying for someone. Those kinds of things are the things that really God is talking about, Jesus is talking about in this parable. But when we sit back with our arms crossed and we say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for this big opportunity to come my way, or I'm just going to critique everything that I see happening, but I don't really get involved, we miss what God is saying for us to do here. I realized for me, as a young leader, and leading a church, it wasn't a big church, but leading a church, I learned that I had a lot of gaps I learned I had a lot of areas where I just needed to grow. So after a, a lot of prayer and getting a lot of counsel and doing all these spiritual things, actually the reality is I just wanted to move and marry Katie. Um, <laughs> part of the reason. That was the motivation. I decided to leave Canada and, and come and, and get more training here at, at OCC. And so I traded in my snow shoveling for, you know, 115 degree weather. <laughs> And so now, I've, I no longer have that position, but I, I work in sales. And so it's been a big transition for me. Um, I'm outside pounding the pavement, talking to people, talking to business owners, getting rejected, getting the door slammed in my face, uh, dealing with the 115 degree weather like we had this week. And so sometimes I ask myself, why, God? Why have you put me into this position? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Why am I in this position? And... Um, and that's something that we all struggle with. And so, and so as, as, as I've dealt with that, I've really been able to reflect on a couple of things God has taught me during this process that I want to share with you. The first is that God has really tested me in my motives. And so it's actually been a blessing in disguise. And the reason why is I've learned if I can't genuinely serve without any recognition, setting up the chairs, setting up the pipe and drape, helping wherever needed without any status... If I can't do that, then I don't really need to be in leadership in the kingdom because, because a leader in God's kingdom serves. 
And the second lesson that I've learned has been in the area of my security. What do I put my hope in? I've learned that the more secure I am, the more I can be okay serving in a humble position without any recognition. And that's actually a blessing. There's a very fascinating verse toward the end of Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 13, while Jesus is finished eating uh, with his disciples at the Lord's Supper, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus knew that the Father had given him ultimate authority and power. He knew that one day every king, emperor, president, all the high status people of the world, all the important people at his time and our time, all of them would bow down and recognize that Jesus is Lord. Jesus knew all this. He was not concerned with, his, with himself in the moment. He knew where he was going and where he had come from. And so it didn't bother him to serve didn't bother him to, to stoop to a very low task. He had, perfect, uh, I, um, he had perfectly secure identity in himself. Don't you think it's possible that the more that you and I are secure in who God has made us to be, the more we can take our eyes off of how other people are perceiving us, the more we can stop wasting energy in that area, and the more we can focus on being faithful? All God has to do is take away one of those things that we really put our security in. Maybe it's my looks. Maybe it's um, my heritage. Maybe it's my skill set in a particular area. Maybe it's my upbringing or my, my, my heritage in Christianity. I don't know what it is. All God has to do is remove one of those areas and I can be completely devastated. But if you're a follower of Christ and Christ is your foundation then he can take away those things and you can still be secure. And if you are a member of a follower of Christ today, you can relax and you can focus on, um, on the fact that God accepts you as you are. So really the path to honor is to serve and serving comes is a, is a byproduct of humility. Now anyone can be humble for a season. Anybody can go to a wedding and sit there for maybe an hour, or a few minutes or whatever. But what happens when time goes by? What happens when we wait and we watch and we don't see that God's really doing anything? And so that leads us to our second point. And that's the test that we must pass. And the test we must pass is patience. And so how long do I have to be patient? So point number two is that God promotes in his timing and not ours. You don't have to be a Christian very long to realize that God's timing is very different than our timing. Jesus said in in, in verse 10 here, When you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your guests. Notice the time words here. When, then. And as you read the story, it makes it sound like, Okay, I'll sit here for about 45 seconds. Maybe I'll round it up to a minute. And I'm going to wait for this host to come and say, Okay, why are you sitting here with these low lives? You need to come up here to this position of honor. And we think it's just going to happen like, like that. But isn't it true that God often takes his time in answering? Isn't it true that God often takes his time in promoting us? Maybe you're in that kind of situation right now. Maybe you're waiting for something, a job promotion. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse or for a child. Maybe you're, you're waiting on something and it just doesn't seem like God is answering. Um, and so why, why doesn't God answer? Anyone ever ask that question? Like, why aren't you answering God? 
The answer is we don't always know why God doesn't answer. But what we do know is that God often teaches us some very, very important lessons during that period of waiting, during the the season of being tested. Now, my wife and brothers and I had the opportunity to go to uh, Yosemite last month. And it's the first time that I'd ever been there. And so we got to go look at the, the Mariposa Grove, which is where some of the largest trees are in the world, the Sequoia Redwoods. And there we are. You can see standing underneath, you can actually drive a small car through that opening in the tree. And this picture doesn't really do it justice. These trees are massive. And from what I've understood, they they grow at an average of about one to two feet per year. Which means in order for a tree to get that large, it's going to take 50, 75, 100 years for it to develop the thickness and the height of this tree here. God wants to grow our lives to be like this sequoia. He wants us to, uh, to be able to be strong and sturdy. If God wants to grow a mushroom, what does he do? He grows it overnight. But it can easily be kicked over. But a tree like this can stand for decades, centuries even. Jesus set this example of waiting himself, in fact. Do you know what percentage of Jesus' life was lived on this earth where he didn't do any public ministry? Jesus lived for 33 years, and the first 30 of those years were spent building relationships, working a job, getting to know people in his community, things that no one would remember him by. And it was only those last three years where he did the things like his miracles, his teachings. The things that brought Jesus' status happened only in those final three years. If you and I follow that particular pattern, and we live to be 80 years old, that means we wouldn't really start our ministry until age 72 which is really kind of depressing. But this is really a profound truth about the nature of God. He does things in His timing and not our timing. And we see this pattern throughout the Bible. Moses didn't start his ministry till the last one-third of his life. David didn't start, wasn't king until he was at age 30. Paul didn't go on his first missionary journey until after age 40. Francis Schaeffer, who is regarded as one of the great theologians and thinkers of the 20th century, up there with C.S. Lewis, he kind of just burst onto the scene one day, and a lot of people were like, wow, this guy just came up, came and became well-known overnight. But the reality is that he spent 20 years just staying home, doing his homework, no status, no recognition, no popularity. He waited on God for the opportunity to lead, and God delayed 20 years. This is a common pattern that God often uses to raise us up. Now, it doesn't mean that you won't have an opportunity to have influence and leadership at a young age. It just means that if you haven't been raised up and you've been faithful, you've been working hard, you've been doing the right things, then you're in good company. God has not forgotten about you. Keep going. Now, this sounds really easy to say, right? It's easy for me to say, just keep going. Hang in there. Be patient. But isn't it really difficult to actually put into practice? And so I want to, my last point is I want to give you the secret of being patient. And how do you pass the test? And that leads us to point number three, is that my strength comes from walking with God. In fact, it's our closeness with God that gives us the strength we need to wait on His timing. Again, in, the, in verse 10, it says, friend. Jesus is calling Himself uh, the host of friend. Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. It's clear that the word friend means there's an existing relationship between the host and the guests at the party. The host would know where his friend should sit. And even though a host may forget and get busy and not elevate his friend to a higher place, God doesn't forget. 
God remembers exactly where we should be seated in life. But he's testing us to see how we're going to respond. Jesus used the same word friend to describe his disciples, his followers, in John 15. It says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. A friend of Jesus, a person with a close relationship with him, trusts him. He takes Jesus at his word. If we're followers of Christ today, God intends for his grace to flow like through a pipe into our lives to give us strength to wait on his timing. And so I don't know if you're currently receiving God's grace, but he wants that, ga- that grace to flow into your heart. And there's a couple of ways that that can get blocked in our lives. And those are fear and pride. Fear is that feeling you get when you sit down here at this low place and you think, I'm never going to get elevated. I'm just going to sit here. God has forgotten me. Everyone has forgotten me. And then pride is that feeling, that inner voice that we hear saying, you know what, I deserve better than this. I'm not going to wait on God's timing. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Now, many people believe that, um, have a hard time believing that God exists. And a lot of times, the reason why we don't believe He exists is because we do some of these things and we don't see Him answer in our timing. But if we can begin to, to actually practice developing a relationship with God, walking with Him, getting close with Him, then as time goes on, we will see that He will promote us in His timing. And it can actually really um, allow us to see that God is real, that He cares about us. So I don't know what season of life you're in. I don't know if you're in a season of transition where you're having to choose to be humble. I don't know if you're in a season where you just have to um, push through. I don't know if maybe there's a job promotion on the table or there's an opportunity to move to a new place and say, if I just leave the OCC community, or if I just compromise just a little bit, I can get what I want. And you might short-circuit what God is trying to teach. Maybe you're in a season where you have been humble, and now God has given you an opportunity and promoted you. And it's very easy at that point to coast and to not live by faith. Does God have you in one of these seasons? Is that possible? I know for me I've wasted a whole lot of energy worrying about getting promoted and making a difference and doing all these things. Instead, I should have been focusing my attention and my energy on being faithful. One of the lessons that I have learned recently is that the focus of my faithfulness is service and not status. If I'm only concerned with being elevated, then I'm missing what God is trying to say. My focus should be on serving Him. God can give anyone status. I mean, look. People are making millions of dollars posting videos of them playing Minecraft on YouTube. People, there's a kid that was six years old that made $11 million last year reviewing toys. I mean, God can give anyone money. He can give anyone status. That's pretty obvious. But what's more difficult is for us to develop a genuine heart to love and serve others. That's far more valuable in God's eyes. You see, I thought that if I could just get a little recognition, that would bring me contentment and that would bring me joy and happiness. But what I've learned is that All recognition does and all status does is more work. Leadership is just more work. And so what I've learned is that it's actually the opposite. If I will find contentment and joy in where I'm at today, then regardless of my circumstances, then I can be at peace with God. Now many people, they think of this idea of Christian humility. And they think, oh, that's kind of an outdated term. Nobody really wants to be humble these days. Um, But actually it's a very worthwhile thing to pursue. C.S. Lewis said, 
Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seemed to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. When you meet a rare person like this, you often find someone that's really fought through pride and God has really worked in their life. And you actually enjoy being around that kind of person. What Lewis is saying here is that when you meet someone who's humble, you see contentment and you see joy. Wouldn't it be nice if we as a community really began to embody that? Wouldn't it be nice if every person that you interacted with at church really had a settled contentment and they were concerned more about you rather than how they came across? The best place for us as a community and as individuals is is to start in this process is to begin to serve with no strings attached and finding contentment right where we're at today. Now, you and I both know that this is impossible without God's help. I've tried it. You've probably tried it. And it's impossible without God's help. That is why things like a personal devotional life, prayer, getting involved in community, getting involved in life groups, serving on Sundays, all of those things, though they don't seem like much at the time, can really serve to strengthen your relationship with God. And as you do those things, you develop those habits, God can really give you the strength you need to endure during those times where you have to be patient. What you begin to desire is not, an, uh, what you begin to de- desire is not more honor from God, but actually a, a deepening desire to grow closer to God and to serve others. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back onto the stage. And as they do, I just want to give a full disclosure. I don't have all this figured out. I'm right in the middle of it. I'm still dealing with all kinds of um, opportunities to choose humility. I've got to wrestle through that every day myself. I don't have it figured out. But my hope is that as, um, as you really seek this kind of thing, as God really begins to speak to you, that he would be encouraged. As Scott said last week, just stay in the fight. I don't know if you're dealing or struggling with being patient. I don't know if you're struggling with an insecurity right now. But I do know that if you, if you push through, God is there and he will meet you where you're at. So let me ask you, what are your next steps? What is your next step today? Maybe my next step today is to voluntarily take a low position and serve someone in my life. Maybe it's to spend time growing in my relationship with God this week. Or maybe it's to pray for contentment and joy in an area that is difficult. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for uh, this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Christ and his example. Lord, I just pray for each person that's here that may be in a season of in-between. Maybe they're waiting. Maybe they're waiting on your timing. I just pray for strength, and I pray for contentment, and I pray for joy in the season that they're in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.